Hello and welcome to The Better Business Show with me, Tom Idle. Thanks for tuning in. Coming up this week. We shouldn't really be looking at it. It's just the standard price of electricity because we've got to drill down beneath that to get a real value on what this electricity is at any one time and where that might be. Yes, we've got the brilliant James Williams this week, a man that spends his time thinking about how products can be brought to market and he's on the verge of making Zap a reality, the world's first digital energy currency. Stay tuned. Welcome back. Uh, this is episode 14 of The Better Business Show. Thanks for being there. Thanks for coming back to us. Um, yeah, what we've got coming up. So we've got James Williams coming up this week. Um, you'll hear more about Zap uh, in, in, a, in a short while. You'll also be pleased to know that Vicky Knowles is back with us this week. We'll be checking in with her to run down all the latest news and developments from across the world of sustainable business. So that's coming up later. Uh, before we get into the heart of today's show, I just want to a brief moment to give a shout out to a few of our loyal and regular listeners who I know will be listening right now. Um, first of all, I'd like to say a big hello to Ian Welsh. Ian is the editorial director at Innovation Forum, which is a brilliant events and publishing business based in London. I would say they're brilliant because I'm actually part of their team. I'm editing their new, uh, their newest venture, which is uh, the snappily titled Supply Chain Risk and Innovation a monthly journal. So if you work for a big corporate or you happen to supply uh, a big corporate and you want to know about the, the latest in the world of sustainable supply chains, um, then yeah, I recommend you, you check it out. It's a monthly journal. Uh, I'll put the details in today's show notes in case you want to you want to do that. So yeah, big hello to, to Ian. Um, also a big hello to Emma Milka, who is the, the brilliant editor of One World magazine based over in the Netherlands who I know is a regular listener and fan of the show, listening as she does, as she cycles around Amsterdam. So hello, Emma. Uh, and one last big hello to Oliver Hurry, who heads up the, the brilliant Two Degrees network. And Two Degrees has just launched its latest innovation gateway, which I'm sure many of you will be interested in, actually. Certainly some of our guest businesses will be interested in uh, in what they're doing. Basically, it's a project which is being supported by Sainsbury's Carillion, Baxter Story and the Royal Bank of Scotland and these four companies are supporting this project and they're looking for companies that might help them to save energy, to save water, to save waste across their enormous um, property estates and portfolios across the UK. So big opportunity. So if you're interested, again, I'll put some details in today's show notes uh, and perhaps we can get Ollie or one of the Two Degrees team to come on the show in the next week or so to give us a bit more detail, because I think it's something that, that you'll all be interested in. Um, okay, so great, let's meet to today's guest. So he's a man called James Williams. He is based in the southwest of England, uh, a notoriously hot spot for taking advantage of renewable energy systems. In fact, it's, it's a part of the world that generates around 9% of its electricity from renewables, which is the equivalent, equivalent uh, excuse me, of about a quarter of all the energy needs of homes in the southwest, which might not seem a lot uh, if you're tuning in from maybe Scandinavia or Germany or other places in Europe. It's certainly a, it's a large scale for here in the UK. And it's working. Regen Southwest say that the sustained growth in renewable energy has created 10,000 direct jobs thanks to solar, wind, tidal energy schemes in that part of the world. Um, the trouble is, Clean energy has a problem just because the wind is blowing strongest and creating the most energy 
at midday on a Tuesday, that doesn't mean that's necessarily when people want to use that electricity. And without storage systems, that clean energy just gets wasted. So what if there was a way to encourage people to make use of that energy at a time when it wouldn't be wasted? What if there was a way of boosting the use of clean energy overnight? Well, let's meet James Williams, a man looking to solve this very conundrum. So James, before we get into the nitty-gritty of, of today's show and, and find out more about what it is you've been up to, uh, g- give us some background on, on yourself because you're doing a few things right now, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, I've, I suppose I've been quite active in various startup businesses over the last eight years, both ones that I've instigated myself and also kind of ones that I've kind of either taken part in down here in Cornwall or maybe advised a little bit on. Um, so I've, my, my biggest kind of uh, project that's been running for the last few years is Keybunga, which is actually in the um, outdoor space, both kind of recreationally um, and also hardware products. So I've got a brand and also I've had a shop that's run for a number of years, both online and bricks and mortar in St. Ives. Um, we've also run a stand-up paddleboard school out of that quite successfully. Okay, okay. Uh, but in terms of a sustainability kind of um, theme involving the in Keybunga, it's because I've I've launched that and well launching that hardware product um, with a transparent business model, so people can see exactly how much they're paying for it, why they're paying for it, where it was getting built, and those kind of things. So yeah. Okay, so we'll we'll come on to talk briefly about Keybunga um, a bit later. But the reason I wanted you on the show so badly was was Zap, uh, and I saw this. Yeah, on, sorry, on... I've, I've gone straight back into pitching <coughs> Keybunga. Hey, that's, that's yeah. absolutely fine. It's it's, it's in in your uh, in your bones, I guess, the the whole pitching yeah. thing. But no, Zap was an idea that I saw on the Virgin Voom website, and this is Virgin's business startup support uh, mechanism, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so you've got companies in the UK and Ireland giving this chance to pitch into Richard Branson. And if he likes it, you kind of win a share of, I think it's a million pounds, isn't it? Um, but uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Zap's your idea to launch the world's first digital energy currency. Um, I mean, what what fascinates me about the whole kind of energy space? It's really hard to sell, isn't it, and communicate and explain. Uh, so, have a go for us. What's the idea behind Zap? Yeah. Okay. Then um, again, it's partly kind of. Um, come from being in Cornwall where we've had a big explosion of um, onshore wind farms and solar farms. So you just drive around now and you see these big fields of solar panels everywhere. Um, one of the issues with that, it's really great and it's it's booming globally now. So solar is becoming one of the cheapest forms of, of energy to have. So it's, it's, it's actually starting to kind of kick ass against some of the... Um, the more dirty CO2 polluting um, generation options. Um, the problem is, is that our grid isn't set up for it, mm. and they're intermittent. So if you look at solar and wind, particularly, um, it's it's great when the sun's shining and the wind's blowing. Get those things together, and maybe low demand for whatever reason. Maybe people are asleep. Um, obviously the sun won't be shining when people are asleep um, but yeah demand's low it's matching up those two things to really take advantage of that renewable energy source so solar and wind in particular 
So, so, so you've got this idea of matching supply and demand. It's called demand demand side management, right? Um, where we're wanting to use as much of that energy when it's being produced. Otherwise, potentially, it's just going to waste, or right. even more so that generation is getting shut down because it's actually damaging the infrastructure in the national grid. Um, so what Zap's trying to do is actually make something that's really engaging and incentivizing consumers to use that energy when it's available, when it's being produced. Right. Um, and we can do that in a number of ways. We can use the most simplest form is, is storing that energy. Yeah. Um, and that's where our kind of mobile phones and our laptops come in. And then in the future, when hopefully when we're all driving, well, electric cars and so forth, are a lot more uh, commonplace, that yeah. provides a real opportunity for us to actually capture and store that electricity that's being produced from solar panels and wind power in particular when it's right. being. So it's not wasted. So it's basically... It's kind of bringing a mechanism to kind of trade in intermittent renewable energy. I'll probably yeah. explained it very well. Well, no, no but, and it, it, okay, it's got yeah. Again, as I said, it is it is tough. But I mean, this idea of demand response, uh, as you've you know you've you've articulated very well, has been fairly successful in the commercial and industrial world, hasn't it? And we you know we've heard of, from a couple of businesses on the Better Business Show about this very idea where you incentivize companies and pay them to kind of power down and i guess this is this is a an idea that that sort of taps into the the consumer market right yeah absolutely so on a larger scale if you're looking at a whole factory or a big you know that's really using a hell of a lot of energy their incentives um are quite high and it can make a real difference the challenge has been is is trying to um plug into the wider consumer market. So lots of lots of individuals all over the place that together, collectively, can make a massive difference. Um, but trying to incentivize that hmm. is quite challenging. So what Zap's doing is trying to create a new currency where we can actually then leverage big brands and products and services to come along and use that currency as a way of plugging in new marketing kind of avenue so promotions or whatnot so think it think of it kind of like air miles or nectar points but we're using energy hmm. as a way of uh, creating that opportunity so how, how might that work in practice so I, I might get rewards for say you know doing my my washing at midnight for instance rather than the usual kind of six o'clock or something is that is that what you're proposing here um, it's not, I mean, that's more of a kind of economy seven kind of, um, everyone else is not using electricity kind of approach. So in its simplest form, the first trial that we really want to do is basically send out a zap alert to people's mobile phones when it's really sunny and it's windy, for example. So there's lots of, um, solar and wind energy being used. And during that zap alert period, um, if you then do either storage activity, so maybe you plug in your phone and charge it up, or your laptop, um, or you're, you're, you're particularly active um, digitally or using your appliances, we will then, you'll then earn some zap points. Okay. And then those zap points can be used to maybe take some money off your phone bill, or you might be able to redeem that at Starbucks 
something like that. That's the that's the concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess that the you know the brands that you're initially work with on this could be what utility companies, supermarkets, that that type of brand. I think any pretty much anyone in the consumer space. Um, I think it kind of makes sense in your head to kind of work with communication companies, so your mobile phone provider and utilities. But I think the exciting opportunity here is getting a bit of money off your um, your electricity bill isn't really that glamorous. So I think being able, to, being able to widen this out across all consumer markets is going to be a really exciting prospect um, and maybe a much more engaging way of approaching this problem. Um, yeah, yeah. And you say in the pitch to, to Mr. Branson that you, you use you will use blockchain technology to connect up these kind of data sets. Explain to us in sort of layman's terms what, what that actually looks like. Okay, I'm not an expert in blockchain, so I'm not going to attempt to explain it in a great deal of detail. Um, but basically, it's the technology that kind of is the foundation behind Bitcoin. So, okay. and it's it's now because it's now being accepted. That it's gonna, it's potentially going to be a really important innovation within the internet more widely. Um, what it enables you to do, if you are looking at say creating a, a virtual currency or something that needs to be um, there needs to be an, e an element of security and authentication in that process of creating zap points. So that's yeah. where we're going to use that blockchain technology to help that happen. Right. Yeah. And I, and I guess the problem with energy, you know, is that, that people don't really think about where it's coming from, do they? There's a sort, you know, severe lack of tangibles here. We switch on a light, you know, the energy could be coming from, from down the road, it could be coming from someplace else, we just don't know. Uh, is, is this idea, this concept, your admission that actually you're never really going to connect up the dots and get people to think about energy because it's such an unsexy kind of thing isn't it that actually you need to connect it to kind of consumer brands and 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 other things that get people excited is that what you're admitting to here i think it's it's partly that um i think you, you know you have to really make uh, you've got to add value to the to um the, the reward of using your energy a little bit more um, responsibly. Um, yeah. But it's also it's also an appreciation that, especially now that we've got all these different types of generating electricity, and especially with the renewable sector, we've just got a standard price of a standard price on electricity at the moment. When actually not all electricity costs the same amount of money at the set, you know, depending on when it's being produced and where it's being produced. Um, so it's actually just bringing some more nuances and putting a, a better value to the, the price of electricity, which isn't, right. as I said, it's not it's not a standardised. Um, sh we shouldn't really be looking at it's just a standard price of electricity because we've got to drill down beneath that um, to get a real value on what this electricity is at any one time and where that might be. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, for example, if you if you're living really close to a big wind park and it's windy and nobody else is using much electricity, it seems right that that electricity at that point in time in that location is actually relatively cheap and we need yeah. to be able to somehow capture that and reward that. Yeah, that. yeah. Which I guess will come when, I guess, clean energy kind of matures. I mean, what, what, what do you make of the kind of renewable energy space? We, you know, we... I wonder whether this 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 idea is a stopgap because whether the and whether the supply demand conundrum will be solved 
in time as we layer on more and more green energy systems. Um, I guess that's a long way off, is it? Um, I think as we layer on more and more green energy, I think being able to um, use that energy more appropriately will get ever more important. Um, I suppose the challenge will be as the Internet of Things, as you would have, you know, again, you hear a lot more about. So that would be like automating your dishwasher to come on at times of peak renewable energy um, production. That's going to be a really positive thing. Um, But again, there's no reason why this idea of having an energy currency still can't feed into those platforms. Um, Mm. So, so right now, Zap is at uh, a concept stage, is it? I mean, what's the plan? Um, yeah, I mean, as you can probably tell by talking to me, it's it's really early ideas. It's a concept. Hence, we've we've entered the um, the startup um, section of the Richard Branson's Room competition, rather than the the, the grow um, element of the competition for kind of more established businesses that are up and running. So, really, it's about getting the message out there. And trying to find some some partners to work with. The success of this is really going to be down to working with a load of stakeholders. So whether that's energy companies, the National Grid, um, you know, some brands that you know, some compelling brands that we can bring on board, as well as finding some developers to work with. Yeah. That's what we're on the search for at the moment. So I was, yeah. was going to say that. What do you need for this to happen? Is it you, you need to get a, a big company on board to really sort of make this happen? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in term, we need some investment, and yeah, we need we need some engagement with all the types of uh, businesses and companies that that might benefit from this. Um, getting some legs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, wh- where did this idea come from, then, James? What what was it that that made you think actually, yeah, that's that's the thing we need? I mean, obviously, there's been lots of talk about the whole you know problem of of, of clean energy and the the demand supply, uh, you know, problem to be solved. But what was it initially that kind of thought actually, yeah, we should do this? Um, it's a good question. I'm, I've been trying to ask myself that. Um, I think it's kind of organically kind of risen in my subconscious. Um, I'm, you know, I'm aware of the the massive growth in the in the solar industry in particular, but also we've got the other thing that we've got and we're carrying around with us all the time is these mobile digital devices that are, and that become so big in our lives. And they're, 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 they're the two things together, bringing those together, um, so the information, communication, text, technology stuff, and the intermittent renewable stuff, it kind of just felt like it's a good fit, and that some, a solution by bringing those together is, is, is an obvious step. Um, but then thinking, well, how can we really add value to that to the consumer, and that's where bringing in some brands and adding some value and and the rest of it comes in. Um, yeah, yeah well, not, it, not quite sure where it came. Maybe I dreamt it. <laughs> well, it, it's it's a smart idea, and I'm sure we'll have some listeners who have got uh, some some opinions to share, and and maybe some supporters too. We never know. Um, tell us about your other ventures. You mentioned uh, your company uh, Keybunger at the, at the outset here. Well, tell us about that. Yeah, I think that's um, that's something we probably got in touch with last year um, about. Um, so I did a Kickstarter campaign for a hardware product, really different project in a way. So it's just a, it's um, it's a solution for waterproofing electronic car keys for surfers and water sports enthusiasts. Okay. I ran a Kickstarter last winter, didn't quite hit the target. 
Um, but off the back of it, yeah, we got some investment off the back of it, and actually we hooked up with a, an international distributor. Um, so we're just waiting to launch that. So it's it was a success in the end. We didn't hit our our funding target, but it, we're really glad we did the Kickstarter because it led to a couple of major things. Brilliant, yeah. A lot of people say that actually. Where a Kickstarter campaign, whether it you know reaches its final goal or not, it's it's a great way of marketing and and, and shouting yeah. about what you're doing. So that sounds I mean, great. If I'm, if I'm totally honest with you, I'm really relieved we didn't hit our goal because we have had a few issues just getting the the manufacturer right it's taken a lot longer than we thought it was going to right um so we would have had a few angry um supporters going where's where's my key bunga because it isn't there yet so yeah yeah, yeah. i believe that we didn't hit it yeah that's it and and you're also uh, working at the university of of exeter uh tell us what you're doing for, for those guys yeah that's right um i've only been there a couple of months now um but they've got a campus down in cornwall over at Penryn, um, as basically helping them look at some of their research and and finding places for it in the market. So it's called research commercialization, uh, but really okay. it's about kind of business startup. So you might have some academics with a great new idea, and it's just kind of plugging in a bit of uh, entrepreneurial um, oomph to try and try and facilitate that activity from happening. Really, but it's really interesting. Right. Lots of different product uh, projects. And potential products and services, and again, they're really quite active in this um, renewable energy field. What What is it normally? What was the sort of traditional pitfalls or, or you know, common mistakes that companies make uh, when they're trying to kind of scale things up and, and, and make things commercial? What What are you, what are you seeing out there? Um, that's a good question. I think one of the things that I've always felt is. Um, Although being an expert and being kind of really in um, involved in a specific sector is obviously an amazing uh, attribute, um, but occasionally you kind of getting another getting a perspective from somebody completely outside that sector or industry can come in and maybe join some more kind of obscure dots or pathways up. Mm. Um, I've, I've had that, you know. I always find it really important to talk to lots of people about business ideas because I find that their perspective on what you're doing is is really useful because you can be a little bit too close to the project sometimes and you can't see the wood from the trees and and actually anyone can come in and offer you that kind of advice which is why I'm always quite open in chucking my ideas out there like I've done with with Zap um, I've, I've, I've thrown it out there to the world yeah you know, I'm not protecting it <laughs> anyone can go and do this if they want yeah, um, yeah, but I want to start that conversation, and I hope hopefully it will lead somewhere. Yeah, well, we wish you all the best with it, and uh, we'll encourage our listeners to go check out your pitch, and obviously to vote for 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 Zap. Um, I yeah, think voting, it's, voting it's really easy to to vote. You just log in um, with your um, Facebook or your um, LinkedIn account, and then you can just press the vote button. And there's actually loads of other really interesting projects on there as well. Brilliant, brilliant. I think voting closes 23rd of May. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll encourage everyone to do that. But James, yeah, do stay in touch with us and let us know how you get on with it, won't you? Yeah, certainly will do. Yeah, thanks for the time. James Williams there, the man behind Zap and Keybunga and doing his utmost to bring great new products to market. 
in his role as Research Commercialization Manager at University of Exeter. Um, brilliant to find out what James is up to. If you want to find out more, check out this week's show notes online at www.betterbusiness.show uh, and you can check out the Zap pitch uh, on the Voom website and I'll put the link to that as well. Right, it's time to get a brief update on the news from across the world of sustainable business. So let's find out who is doing what and why with Vicky Knowles. Hi Vix, welcome back. Thanks for joining us again. How was your break? It's been good. It feels like ages since we last spoke. Well, it has been. Yeah, it's, uh, it's Easter got in the way, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but thanks for coming back. What's been happening in the world of sustainable business? Okay, so yeah, quite a lot to catch up on. Um, so tying in with wa- World Water Day last month, Levi's announced that it's sharing its water innovation techniques with the public in a bid to encourage water conservation across the power industry. So to put that into perspective, the brand's waterless finishing techniques cut the water in garment finishing by up to 96% and have helped save the firm more than 1 billion litres of water. So quite a big difference. Um, But now they're putting competition aside and encouraging others to use these open source tools. So there's 21 water saving techniques being shared with the public with a range of applications for denim finishing, including ozone and wash cycle combinations. And they hope as an industry they can save 50 billion litres of water by 2020. So it doesn't feel so long ago that Elon Musk got rid of Tesla's patents to help spare on the electric vehicle industry. Um, so what do you think of all the sharing? Well, I think this is what true corporate sustainability should be all about. And, you know, they've invested a great deal in, the, you know, the design, the innovation. They've tested it internally. They have fed back internally. And, yeah, I mean, I think releasing that innovation into into the wild and sharing it with um with the rest of the industry, it's exactly what they should be doing as a sort of positive, responsible business. It's brilliant. I spent the last few weeks going through entries into uh, the national CSR awards, which which I'm a, a judge of this year, and um, and we had our yeah yeah no it was good, and we had our judges' day last week uh, when we finalised our winners and, and runners up. Uh, so hello to my fellow judges who may well be tuning in, um, but. <laughs> I mean that type of judging it's it's a bit of a thankless task but it's also it's hugely worthwhile because you you know you get a sense of what's actually happening out there and it's fascinating to see the companies that are at the different stages of their journey and you've got those that are kind of making those incremental changes and steps forward and then you've got a company like Levi's which is you know just blowing things wide open with this this sort of thing so yeah hats off to them <laughs> For me this week, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of things. You might actually feel less guilty about flying abroad in the near future, Vix. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've just booked my flight, my, my summer holiday, only a two-hour flight down to the Algarve, but a flight's a flight. But the, the two companies that make most of our aeroplanes that we use are actually upping the ante. Uh, Airbus is teaming up with Siemens to introduce a range of hybrid passenger planes, which will be going to be powered by electricity and conventional fuel, and they reckon they'll be in operation by 2030. So that's only 15 years away, so it's nothing really. I mean, the company's chief exec, Tom Enders, says that passenger aircraft below 100 seats could actually be propelled by hybrid propulsion systems, and they're determined to explore this. Um so then you've got Boeing. Uh, so Boeing has partnered with NASA to reduce emissions through lighter wing design. So longer, thinner, lighter wings could reduce fuel burn and the associated carbon emissions by at least 50%, they reckon. And they've been doing some wind tunnel testing 
to increase wingspan size by 50%. Um, so, yeah, they're going to analyze some results, but they'll be exploring wind design further. Uh, NASA has previously claimed that America's aviation industry could reduce pollutant emissions by 75% percent saving 250 billion dollars in the process uh, and that's just for by you know refining the design of, of of these planes so it's going to be fascinating to see how these new developments and technologies play out in the coming years definitely and it's it is interesting that both boeing and airbus are tackling fuel reduction from different vantage points so you've got the sort of the, the what the plane looks like in its size compared to like using hybrid t- technology. Um, it feels like not so long ago actually that we were chatting about EasyJet and its hydrogen fuel cells. Um, so for Airbus's hybrid planes, the fact that it makes them quieter too can't harm the case when noise is such a big complaint in aviation. Yeah. Apparently they're supposed to be nearly silent in takeoff and landing, which is just really hard to imagine. <laughs> it is, yeah, weird. I mean, it, and also, you know, another example of how companies are finding partners to work with to actually make things happen. They've realised they can't do it on their own. So it's, uh, yeah, a, a useful story thing. Um, so, yeah, um, another story I've been looking at, well, it's kind of a general topic, I suppose, because I feel like I'm always talking about food waste, but it seems that there's so much going on in this space at the moment especially this year. Um, So you know that Italy is introducing a law that will make it easier for supermarkets to donate more waste food to charities. And then while France's new law means retailers who throw away unsold food will be fined. Um, So legislation is a great, great move. And also tech is definitely playing a role in this space as well. So in Germany, the Minister of Food and Agriculture, Christian Schmidt, wants to abolish the food expiration date. But his ministry has also invested 10 million euros into research on smart packaging with the aim of having something concrete in three years' time. So specifically, these are like electronic chips that can be installed in in food packaging. So for example, it can analyze the contents of, say, yogurt and communicate how much it has aged using a color-coded scale from green to red. And then it's actually up to the consumer to decide whether or not they still fancy eating it with this information. Brilliant. Yeah, and then another one, uh, Tesco's teamed up with Fairshare to launch Food Cloud, which is an online platform that redirects foods, food to charities and food banks. So store managers can use a mobile app to alert charities about excess food left at the end of the day. Then the recipient organization can come pick it up for free. So Food Cloud has actually been running for four years, donating nearly 900 tonnes of food. But Tesco's funding and involvement it's, is expected to expand the reach far beyond original estimates, as you can imagine. Good. I mean, yeah, food waste has been an issue for the big supermarkets for you know for so long, um, and I'm found you know it's great that they're finally getting around to, to sorting this out. And they're a bit like sheep, the big retailers. You know, one makes a move, and they all kind of they follow suit. Uh, but you know, these these sorts of technologies, particularly the food cloud, I think is absolutely necessary. I was talking to. Uh, David McCauley, who's the chief exec of the the Trussell Trust, which is one of the the bigger poverty charities in the UK, and he's a fellow judge on the on the National CSR Awards that I mentioned. Um, it's relatively easy, I think, for a company like Tesco to send its food waste to food banks, but if that food still ends up being wasted because there isn't enough demand in that area, then you know the problem of food waste just not you know isn't being solved. So anything that can divert it to where it's needed most I think is absolutely um, you know spot on so that's an interesting one I mean speaking of technology um, there's uh, well there's there's something being developed in China there's a problem with solar uh, and it's something that we uh, we talk about with 
this week's guest on the show, James William, uh, in that solar doesn't work very well when the sun doesn't shine, unsurprisingly. And a bunch of scientists in China reckon they've developed some new solar tech that can produce energy from the sun and from rainwater. And it's all thanks to a material called graphene. And when water lands on it, it creates what the researchers call a pseudo-capacitor effect, uh, which is a, a different way of saying voltage, basically. Um, sadly, we won't be coating every solar cell in graphene just yet, and not only because of the you know big expense attached to it, but the solar cell created by this team of scientists uh, is is just six and a half percent efficient in optimal solar conditions. So, which you know com- compares pretty badly to traditional solar cells, which are around the sort of twenty percent efficiency uh, range. Um, but you know, it's a it's a good idea. Uh, and it would make solar far more versatile in environments where the weather is, frankly, a mixed bag. It's currently raining where I am here in Kent. Um, uh, and so, you know, the, the researchers just need to work a little bit more on this, but I'm sure they'll get there. But it, it's, a, it's a fascinating uh, development, this. Yeah, definitely. I was just going to say it's raining here as well. So, um, yeah, if you reside somewhere like the UK where it's pretty unpredictable, it seems like a really exciting prospect. And actually, it's really fun to hear about these um like almost futuristic ideas because a few years later you often hear that they found a way to overcome these efficiency and cost barriers yeah indeed yeah. brilliant Vix. well thank you and thanks for updating us and uh, and we'll see you again next week won't we definitely i'll see you next week okay that's it for another week thanks again for tuning in uh, please don't forget to spread the word about the better business show uh, with your colleagues and your peers across social media Uh, Please subscribe via iTunes if you haven't already done so or SoundCloud. Uh, We'll be back again next Monday. So until then, goodbye.